interstitial while we get this figured out. I can hear you. Oh, you can hear me. Oh, oh sweet hey. lord. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's my fault. Oh, no worries, man. No worries. So, um, it's 5 a.m. where you're at? It is, yeah. <laughs> That's early. Ah, well, you know. You just you go to bed, you take some melatonin around like 8.30, and then you lock yourself in a cold, dark room, and like, you just do your best, I guess. <laughs> okay, so you're already up for the day. Yeah, you didn't I, stay up all night. Yeah, I so I get up. I've been getting up recently around four or five to do to sling beer off a truck. Uh, okay. For money, uh, because this is what academics do now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I mean, the job market's terrible, but this is what I've always done. Um, so in general, I'm just I guess I'm just, I'm just used to it. I don't know. How y'all doing? Y'all doing okay? <laughs> We're hanging in there. We're hanging in there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're hanging in there. I just I just got back from a nap and I'm I'm g drinking my third part of, third uh pot of coffee in the last 24 hours. So, <laughs> Jake Jake's going to start seeing Victorian child ghosts in like the <laughs> next like <laughs> Well, if it helps me stay up, then I would not oppose it. If you start seeing like weird shit on the ceilings crawling around or something like that's that's time to take a break. <laughs> I did just take a nap though while uh, I I ran off while um while Adam was talking to Kenzo, because um, both of, so Adam is an educator, um or he was an educator. La familia. Educator at heart now. Do what? I'm also an educator. So family. Oh, awesome. yeah. Um and and so they was talking about they was talking about that stuff and and. Uh, I just took a nap, so well, okay, I don't know if it helped. I, I came out of my car about as tired as I went into it, but uh, I took a nap anyway. Well, I mean, okay, so there's this thing called the human body that requires some amount of rest. When you when y'all were talking yesterday, it was like, yeah, we're gonna go however many hours that we can. I'm just like, can 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 one can one person go 54 hours uh, without you know? their brain starting to leak outside of their ears um so and if they can should they <laughs> well sure. oh we know the answer to that question the answer is no <laughs> the answer is no uh but we are here for uh striking miners which requires a little bit of sac sacrifice for workers is the only is i can't think of anything better worth sacrificing years off my life for so I mean, there that's the union organizing, right? You're taking years off the end of your life to try and get some gains now. <laughs> Amen. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, so you're, you're an academic. Talk to us about your um, academic stuff. And then, it, it, and then, you know, we've got you for a couple hours, so I want to talk about your YouTube stuff, and maybe you can give us some pointers because uh, you, I was telling Adam before you came on, Man, your production value is just like way up there, and uh, you know ours is like way down here. Like you can on our stream, you can kind of make out our face. You know, um, occasionally you can hear what we're saying. Um, I, here's but, the thing: I'd rather be. I would. I would. I'd give an arm and a leg to have a union talk radio show. <laughs> so we'll just reciprocity. We'll uh we'll share tips. We'll talk uh we'll talk that because 
I mean, if there's anything I'd 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 want to be doing, as everyone probably think I'm not like Jake's weird uncle. We do kind of look alike. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we kind of looked alike, but now that we're sitting next to each other on a stream, <laughs> hold on, hold on. I, I hold really on. can see it. <laughs> there. There we go. There we go. <laughs> now I just need the mustache. <laughs> Yeah, no, so I have always had, like, beard envy because uh, I have never been able to to grow a beard or a mustache. Um, I did shave for the stream uh, so that I look halfway presentable. Of course. But uh, I can go, like, three days without shaving before you would notice. Oh, honestly, me too. Uh, I can't – the reason why I have a mustache and not some – disgusting monstrosity that comes out to my face here it's just because i can't grow it uh this well, is i can't even grow a mustache man it's like northern european the ostrogothic heritage or whatever is preventing us from having cool facial hair and it's not fair yeah so. <laughs> maybe by the time i'm like 30 i can grow a mustache that's what i'm shooting for that's not bad it's a good goal yeah <laughs> good goal <laughs> What, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor. Well, I'd like to have a mustache. Can, can That's I just, Jacob's goal. Can I just get a mustache at least? Like, you know, this yeah. is what the working class is asking for. It's not much. Like, right. <laughs> and they won't even fucking give us that. I mean, come on. You got to fight for that. Just a mustache. So, your academic work, have you got a are you like in a phd program or have you got a phd no i'm uh in a i am the twilight of a master's program actually okay um, i have 95 percent of my master's thesis finished um that last five percent has taken about three months uh and it's not moving any faster but yeah i i'm a historian and uh I, i'm known as a labor history guy which is really great. That's always been kind of like where my heart is, um, which is, is with the labor movement, labor history in the United States and in Europe in more contemporary periods. But I'm trained as a classicist because I grew up going to church and shit. Uh, so I started out at a Bible college for two years um, and I took Greek and Hebrew and like learned a lot about ancient, ancient like antiquity and ancient Rome in particular and the emergence of early Christianity. And then when I transferred as an undergraduate to the University of South Florida, that's basically where I picked up. So I wrote an honors thesis on the Apostle Paul and Stoicism. Um, and now I'm basically doing the same thing, but harder. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a thesis on the, the formation of Pauline text and how texts, um, how, the the formation of the self this human subject manifests itself in a text and how we can use that to better contextualize and understand the social world that the apostle paul was raised in um i talk about his education and i talk about the relationships between um basically my argument is that these these are formed in relationship in the socio-cultural world so i talk about i've it's three chapters i've got one on the relationships between teachers and students another one between parents and children 
mostly the paterfamilias figure in Roman culture, and then a third one on the relationships between masters and slaves. Um, and uh, I'm sure like five people are going to read it. And uh, I'll have a degree when it's done. But uh, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, it's my, that's my training. Yeah, I, I do some lecturing. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be one of those weird master students who gets invited to lecture places. And it's always on Ameri U.S. labor history. Almost always after, in the beginning and moving into the 20th century, post-grade upheaval kind of labor history. I know artisanal histories of the working class in places like New York and especially in the American South. But uh, yeah, I spend most of my time talking. I, I spend all that time learning ancient languages and uh, just the working stiff comes back and haunts you uh, mm. in, in the best way. Um, yeah. So why is it that you get invited on the lecture circuit to talk about labor history, like, and, and, um, but your thesis and your research is about like the Apostle Paul and stuff. So like, what, what, what is it that, that people are seeing from you that they're like, oh, I wanna hear him give a lecture about labor history? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I just, I think it's just mostly, um, I think it's just mostly my online content. Uh, I got really lucky um, when it came to um, building a really, like a really good audience that's been incredibly supportive um, and that's kind of always looked out for me but that has like, I basically have followed the lead of what people, people started asking me about labor history online because I did union organizing and because I was involved in like local worker struggle, uh, people started asking for points of clarification. Um, we started having discussion about the particularities of a working class history, what that means for working people um, what that means for how we look toward the future, our political imaginary, as we could call it. And uh, uh, other than that, it's because, like, and, and this is actually the really valuable point, um, I, my uh, advisors in my undergraduate degree are, have been incredibly supportive of uh, everything that I've been trying to do even before I started, you know, slink, hawking my wares online. And uh, they knew pretty much before I did that this is something that I would be adept talking at. It was just one of those things that like, I had always felt comfortable talking about it. I was always pretty adept at talking about it. Um, and I didn't realize I was doing history or I was being an historian until I was, a pro and it was a lot of me. I needed to be, I felt like I needed to be appropriately cr credentialed. I felt like I needed mm. to be authoritative. This is what they teach you in academia. But the problem is, is that sometimes the, those those authoritative those metrics of authority, you know, what we consider, how we consider someone to be authoritative on a topic, like sometimes that goes beyond your actual training and it goes into your lived experiences. And like, if I've lived anything, it's labor. Um, and so I, it was one of those things that like I didn't. It just kind of started happening, and I'm like, mm -hmm. apparently people want me to talk about this. And then you go back and you look and you say, oh, I've always been talking about this. It's always been close to me. It's always been a part of me. It's always been very important to me. And so I just, I just kind of rolled with it. 
and uh, yeah. I'm 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 pleased I'm pleased with it. I'm much more pleased than anything that I could have come up with on my own. I'm I have no idea what I'm doing. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really interested in both of those things. Actually, um, I'm interested in learning more about the Apostle Paul, and I'm also interested in your personal story in the labor movement. Um, so so I think we're gonna have time to dig into both of those. So you know, we we're talking about your. Uh, given lectures on labor history. So like what what was it that like got you involved in the labor movement? You know, like were your parents union um like you know what what was the industry that you were working in? You know, like what, what set the stage for us when you started doing labor stuff? Absolutely. Um so I do come from a union family and it's it's not the one that people usually picture when they think about union families. I come from a family of firefighters. My dad was uh, local 2546 on the uh, Sun Coast in Florida. Um, but my family, they're, they're like, like a lot of people, there's a lot of people online who you know, aren't close to the labor movement. I come from an incredibly conservative, very, very religious family. Um, they're wonderful people, I adore them. But uh, uh, we don't see eye to eye on everything. But I remember this and like, if. It's so cliche, it feels like a story you made up retroactively, but I know that this happened because I've talked to my parents about it. But like, I remember what, what I knew about union dues growing up was that you pay them because you're never gonna know when you need them. Uh, my dad was, and is, he's the hardest working person I've ever met. He's, I, I, I probably admire him more than anybody in the world. Um, and he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't filing ULPs. He wasn't taking people up on grievances. He wasn't doing a shop steward stuff. But he knew that this is something that's just important. And that solidarity with, like, the people in his crew, um, in his battalion in general, was something that, like, it was necessary to... There's something that we talk about in union organizing. There's what we call organic leadership. And for people who aren't familiar, it's this idea that like if you're if you're standing in a room full of workers and you it, it, you're you're getting people to do something that they wouldn't normally do to sign up onto a list to say that yes, they authorize this union, to sign onto a list to march onto the boss to negotiate for particular issues in their workplace if you're doing solidarity unionism, if you're going for a contract like if you're if you stand in a room and you look around and you propose something that's intimidating there's someone in that room that everyone is going to look to they may not physically be looking at that person but there are people in the workplace who you would not expect it oftentimes they can be quiet um oftentimes they don't jump into like volunteer for like union stuff because sometimes like sometimes they're not the union radicals those are mostly sh that's a shop steward position that sort of a thing people who are committed to the union the idea of unionization, all of that stuff. But then there's organic leadership, which are just the kind of people you end up following in your workplace. That was my father. It was always him. He has, not to, not to try and diagnose him without his permission, but I think he's always kind of had some kind of a learning disability. Um, he could have been a captain. Um, he was more than qualified for it, but he had, could not sit for exams. And mm. so he just kind of, formed into the position that he was in um, 
as I think he was lieutenant by the time he retired. But like it was he has this kind of quality, this organic leadership quality that everyone in my life I know had been had looks looks to him when they're in trouble. Um and like more even more than just purely like growing up in a union family, that's what brought me into the labor movement. Um is my parents honest sort of real Christianity, which is not perfect, but like their service unto the least of these taught me more than anything that um, the way to live a meaningful and valuable life is in service to other people. And if, if there's a way, the way that I, I've interpreted this as getting involved with the labor movement, because I don't know, work is the place in which our sort of various struggles come to a head. It's the place that eliminates the barriers, these usual demarcations between who we are that allows us to divide ourselves from each other as working people. And we intersect in this one point of conflict with the owning class. And this is why I always say that it's like, I don't, I don't care who you are. I think you deserve a union because you're a worker. And it's because there's this, everyone has this sort of like sense of this lack of a sense of belonging in our contemporary society. Um, we're very atomized, individualized, and made to think that, that we're all on our own. And if you did something, if you, if you don't have the things that you need at work, it's because you didn't bootstrap enough, you didn't pull hard enough, you didn't work enough. And I always, I've always known that that boss crap is a line of crap because mm -hmm. the like, I come from the I come from the hardest I come from a family of workaholics and they're workaholics because everyone else was an alcoholic and so they stopped mm -hmm. that and started just like let's be Protestant and like teetotalers and like let's not drink and let's not like let's not do any of that stuff and let's just work and see what comes from it. Now I don't think that that's healthy. I don't think workaholism or hustle culture is a good thing, but it taught me that like like show your deeds with your work and fight for other people and like that's 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 labor organizing baby like mm -hmm. like so i i don't know thank you church yeah well well you were talking about the you know the boss crap and and if you're not making enough it's because you didn't bootstrap hard enough and it sounded like you were about to go to something that stephen robbins said um on the show a few weeks ago when he came on uh which is that you know He's a lawyer, he's an immigration attorney, and he's like, you know, there's a pretty high ceiling for um, talented lawyers, or at least lawyers with good connections, right? You can make a pretty good amount of money yeah. being a good lawyer. Um, he represents mostly farm workers, uh, many of them undocumented, yeah. and he said, there's a, really, um, there's a really low ceiling for farm workers. You can be the best, hardest working, most efficient farm worker in the country, in the world, and you might make $15 an hour, right. maybe, if you're lucky, you know, and, 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 and so that's how we know that, that, you know, like you were saying, that boss crap is crap. It's, it's not worth it, you know, it's not worth the paper it's written on or the oxygen they take to say it. It's it, 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 it's just nonsense um, because the hardest work and the best people, they don't always get what they deserve. 
and you've got these parasites at the top, uh, like the CEO of the coal company, Warrior Met, yep. who uh, is the same CEO that took the company into bankruptcy in 2015 before it was bought out by Warrior Met. Basically, they just changed the name of the company. Um, same CEO. He's making more than he ever has. Making more than he ever has. And uh, the coal miners are making less than they ever have. Uh, one of the coal miners said that he has lost $120,000 in the past five years just in lost wages from from the old contract, from, if he had been making 2011 contract wages instead of 2015 contract wages. The difference between those two numbers are 120000 over five years. That's a lot of money. That's a ton of money. And, and, and you know, and, and – and he's sitting there making four million dollars a year, the CEO of Warrior Met, yeah. uh, the, and and again the most that he's ever met, and and so you know, the boss crap it it it, it is it's just crap. So, what uh, what did your organizing look like when you started out? Like what were what industries were you working in, and and um, how kind of official or unofficial? Uh, was your organizing, you know, all three of us are wobblies here. Uh, so, you know, was your organizing initially more like solidarity unionism or were you trying to get NLRB elections or was there like a combination of the two? Um, what what did that look like? Great question. Uh, it, it, it was a combination of the two. Um, sort of this bookend. I, 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 my, my labor organizing has been bookended by solidarity organizing. Which is what's been so valuable, I think, about the perspective that I've been able to gain. I'm very grateful for it. So I started out in food service, like just about everybody close to our age. Uh, my first, my first real job was I come from one of those families where I'll talk about my father. I come from one of those families to where one sometimes you just wake up on a Saturday and your dad's there and he says, "We're going to work," and so you get in the truck and then you go to some construction yard and you sweep for five hours and put concrete into a a wheelbarrow and take it to a dumpster and that was that was probably my first job and also doing church landscaping with him as well I started doing that probably when I was 12 13 but then I got a job in an arcade a month before I turned 15 um, which was not technically legal uh, <laughs> but uh, the family friend he really was like that job that was probably the best job I've ever had slinging pizzas in an arcade um, and I did that for a year and then I just ended up in a series of service and retail jobs, uh, fast food, coffee, um, just like you you name it. Uh, a lot of chains people are familiar with, Starbucks, Panera Bread Company, Burger King, Dairy Queen. I worked in a CD shop. I folded clothes at Bass. I hung drywall for a summer. I worked in a call center. Um, the organizing was really, the rubber was hitting the road in food service. Um, that's when I first started learning solidarity organizing. And then after I finished college, I was a seventh grade teacher for a little while. And so I was able to be a member of the Florida Educators Association. Um, and I was able to learn internal organizing alongside of ex like I was able to learn the particularities of internal organizing for a bigger union. Um, mm -hmm. And I learned how to sort of 
navigate your own contract to understand as a worker um, the sort of you know using the, the good old like you know Stoutland wobbly ethic of like you know educating the work educating workers to be able to sort of like determine what they need um, in their workplace um, and then after that when I went to graduate school um, I started doing in I, I now I just organize every workplace I'm in. That's what happens. That's what happens. But mm -hmm. like, uh, I got to grad school and we started organizing graduate students on campus here locally. That fell apart, unfortunately, um, thanks to some uh, Trump NLRB stuff. Um, uh, but uh, and now, yeah, we now with the Central Florida IWW, I do almost exclusively solidarity organizing, and see myself as well. Uh, we're getting ready to move here in about a month and a half um, up to the Boston area. Um, and I'm, honestly, I'm probably gonna go internal there too. I don't know exactly what it is I'm going to be doing yet, but I'm, I'm thinking about probably just trying to drive for somebody. Um, I drove, oh yeah, I drove a food truck for a while, like a big, it was an old Doritos truck. And I used to help mm. my dad deliver ambulances too, so I've driven big shit before. So, uh, I'll probably end up doing something like that, but my my organizing. I also got into organizing via like electoral campaigns, um, and I did that work for years after college. Um, I ran some campaigns, uh, mm -hmm. and I I worked in how many states? Five states, including Alaska and Vermont. Um, I went and lived in Alaska for a year to work on electoral campaigns <laughs> after college. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so I had had an internship, and I'm like, screw it. I'll apply for this job, and I got it. And I'm like, I guess I'm going to Sitka. <laughs> and so I went there, and I did that. I learned a lot of that stuff, uh, organizing from electoral campaigns as well, um, a lot of what not to do, a lot of how, mm -hmm. a lot of how to not build a sustainable operation and organization a lot of how not to build community and how to alienate people by just trying to force them to make the same phone calls over and over and over again. Um, right. Yeah. So it's been like, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a journey in a good way. I feel like I have, again, I feel very blessed in terms of my perspective to have, have this weird mishmash of experiences, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think that makes sense. And I think that, um, you know, I think having a mishmash of experiences is very common among people in our age group, you know. Um, I have been fortunate that I have not had uh, terribly, uh, I have not had to go into terribly many different industries and learn, learn too many different things. I've worked in the service industry. I was in one restaurant for three years, and I have been working for the federal government now for about four years, something like that. So those are the only two jobs that I've ever had, really. Um, and I, and other than, you know, uh, you mentioned that you did landscaping for your church. I did, uh, I mowed the yard for the church that I went to from the time I was uh, like 13 till when I was 18. Yep. Um, and, and would you believe that uh, I was doing it for free? My daddy would like pay me every other time, basically. Um, yeah. And would you believe that when I stopped doing it, they paid somebody to do it? Would you believe that? Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, yes, I can totally believe that. 
<laughs> I mow their yard for five years. They don't pay me a dime. And then, uh, uh, which, you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't ask to be paid. So that's fine. I'm, you I'm shouldn't not, have to I'm ask. Being... You shouldn't have to ask. Pay the kid <laughs> for mowing your damn lawn. Give me a break. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. We were my, uh, me and my parents both were were basically kind of counting that as part of our tithe kind of thing. We don't oh, we don't sure. actually we don't actually like count out ten percent. I don't think, but both of uh, we were both sort of counting it as, as like our donation to the church. And so we weren't. You know, I'm I'm mostly going on at them, but uh, uh, <laughs> it, it still was funny that as soon as I stopped doing it, they was like, oh man, we need to mow the yard. I guess we're gonna have to pay somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, uh, 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 I enjoyed it. it the, they had a big yard. It's like 10 acres or something. So, uh, having to mow that every couple of weeks, that was, you know, uh, on my, uh, 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 mower, just, just getting to listen to music, listen to podcasts. It was a good time. I had a CD player. I had to use a, a, a like a, a disc man. man. Or whatever. Same. <laughs> you have to skip protection, but then it like drains. It still skips. Yeah, it still skips, and it drains the hell out of your batteries. Yeah. And you got you like halfway done, and the CD player is gone. Now you got to run inside for more batteries, and then you're to... out of batteries. <laughs> and it's just, you know, bullshit that you avoided. I just want right. to listen to Further Seams Forever while I mow this lawn or whatever. Like, let me listen to my second wave emo while I while I mow mm -hmm. this goddamn lawn. Yeah, I was fortunate enough that uh, uh, I was able to have a Walkman instead of a CD Ooh. player. Yeah, dope. Had a Walkman MP3. Yeah. Um, so talk to us about your your YouTube videos. Your YouTube videos are pretty interesting because they're like the intersection of like video games and theology and history and um lefty theory uh that's pretty neat i've ne i haven't actually been able to watch a whole lot of them because like i i feel like i wouldn't get them because i'm not much of a video game guy and and i've never actually played any of the video games that you've done videos on so you know i i've tried to watch a few and i'm like i don't know what he's talking about so uh, I'll just let you explain it to me here now that I've got you. Yeah. Uh, so I like to do cultural re – I, I like to do readings of culture uh, in light of a lot of the theoretical stuff I read in academia. I was like, – like, like any good uh, uh, person who was born at the end of the 1980s and grew up in the 90s, my third parent was television – so I watched a lot of TV. I we played video games growing up. Uh, I I come from one of those uh, puritanical households to where I wasn't allowed to play them on the weekdays. I was only allowed to play on weekends, um, mm. and which actually wasn't a terrible move. Actually, like mm -hmm. I like I I think they in I think retrospect, they, not the worst idea. I mean, right? I I would I could have very easily I have a very addictive personality. I could have very easily blown all of my time sitting in front of the Super Nintendo or the PlayStation, but uh it's just like I always was sort of like straddling these sort of lines when it came to the stuff that I was interested in. Is part of the reason why I wanted to study history and 
college is because the secret is that history is all of the disciplines uh mm-hmm. and i just i just want to i just kind of I, I like i always read i've always was a av- very avid reader i always have read constantly it's just a habit now i read every day something i'm always i'm reading several things at once usually and this sort of it led me to this point to where i wanted to start posing questions of culture um in a way that i don't know one in a way that people really hadn't seen uh with a couple of exceptions um the the internet's favorite uh, a slovenian trash raccoon the the philosopher slavoj zizek um <laughs> is a pretty big influence of mine i've read the majority of what he's as he says he's written the same book like 30 times uh i've read a lot of the same book written in different <laughs> ways um and part of the reason why is because i i had to read what he does which is a combination of german philosophy german idealism marxism and psychoanalysis those are very much the intersection of my personal academic influences um so i started i watched a a film of his called the pervert's guide to ideology um starring him with uh, and it was directed by sophie fine um, who also did a series of shorter films before that called the pervert's guide to cinema uh and they basically it's zizek does these cultural these readings of culture um in light of his particular sort of theoretical formations and uh it's all it's almost never what you expect like yeah he he does popular films like jaws and psycho those are probably his more popular they live uh his his reading of they live is really really popular and understanding it's 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 brilliant um but also like television you wouldn't expect the types of films that you wouldn't expect. I come from just like whenever anyone is talking about the white working class or whatever, I feel like they're just talking mm-hmm. about like my family. It was just like 24 and The Bachelor and like anything with Tim Allen in it and like mm-hmm. all of like the culture I grew up with is the shit that people neglected to talk. Is, I always say this on my own content is like I am like as a dyed in the wool homosexual. I am like I am a fan of a sad movie about painting lesbians, and I will watch it as many times as I need to. It's so great, but we don't need any more think pieces on the films about the painting lesbians or about a man in a hat who's sad or whatever. Like right. I love those films; they're brilliant. But like, we need to be talking about what my good friend the Lit Crit guy and I describe as the cultural ooze of our contemporary moment, which is you know how like chicken nuggets are made out of like this pink slime this just the slurry of chicken parts or whatever that's contemporary culture that's the stuff that we need to be talking about and video games are incredibly popular and people still with there's still this sort of discourse of like like there's culture there's the stuff people like and then there's gamer shit and like it's not the case anymore everyone plays video games and so it led me to this point where I realized I had had hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of my life poured into like just sitting there clicking away either here or on a PlayStation. And I just I, I needed to use it for something. Um, and it just kind of like I'm I'm not going to lie. I did not think of much about my YouTube channel before I started it. I th- I knew I wanted to start one. I had been thinking about starting one for 
the last probably two semesters of my master's. And then when I got into my thesis hours and started writing my master's thesis, uh, I was at home and I talked about all those like physical plant and delivery jobs and all those jobs I did when I was standing up and stuff. Well, as it turns out, I'm like a border collie. If I get stuck in one place for too long, I start ripping out my own fur. And so <laughs> I have to like, I have to like go straight mania and like do yeah. all of the things at once. Um, and so it became uh, this outlet for me to just kind of like talk about what I wanted whenever I wanted and to do whatever reading I felt like. And then what it really turned into was like, I, 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 d I knew that I wanted an audience. Part of the problem with academia is that you can't really build much of an audience inside of academia. I always wanted to get a PhD because I wanted, I like teaching, I like mentoring university students, and because I wanted to write books. Um, and I felt like the, the way to get into publishing and to get something of an audience was to become an academic. Well, since the market has kind of exploded, it was already bad before and then COVID happened and there's hiring freezes and like people were getting laid off and everything. And it forced me to think like, do I, re like, do I really want that? Or do I want an audience? Do I want a platform through which I can spread ideas that I think are useful or at least interesting? Because at the end of the day, even if people watch my stuff and they're like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? And like, they, I'm, I'm gonna say, hey, have you ever organized your workplace? And like, because through my online content, I used to keep count, I stopped keeping count. I don't know how many people we've gotten into the IWW, um, mm -hmm. but it's a lot. Uh, I, I've talked to students about going to graduate school and if they're going to a graduate school that doesn't have a grad, graduate student union, how it's going to be incredibly important that if they're interested in organizing, they need to start immediately because it's so fleeting graduate school right. because people are leaving all the time. And so I just like, let's have some fun. Let's, let's, let's do some interesting cultural analysis that makes people think. Let's challenge the way that we see the world. Let's start like interceding on the way that we just are we are told to just kind of like mouth agape, like culture, like just the slurry just straight directly into my face. Let's disrupt this a little bit. And if within that time, like we can help people make some like honest gains in their workplace. Well, I don't, I don't know exactly how effective it's, it's been because it hasn't been long enough. But I do know mm -hmm. that I've built an audience that audience has been not only incredibly receptive, but very generous, um, and I love them. There's some of them are here now, and I love you all very much, but you know this. Um, and I was able to sort of do what I wanted to do, talk about the things that I wanted to talk about, not being limited by sort of the discourses of academia, um, while still making some substantive, meaningful change in people's lives. And as long as that keeps happening, I'll keep making videos. Once that stops happening, I'll probably stop making videos. But until then, actually, no, and not even that. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I may stop making videos when I, when I can get outside and have an outdoor hobby. But like, <laughs> so long as it's going this way to where like, I, even my very modest sort of success online um, has been incredibly motivating just to kind of keep mm -hmm. doing things, you know? Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned that, that uh, your your channel has become an outlet for you to just do whatever you want to uh, talk about, whatever you want to um, read, whatever you want to. And that's and, and the, the show has I have always wanted to be able to, like, 
have a reason to call up the author of the book that I just read and like, hey, can I talk to you about this and like ask you some questions or or the podcast that I just listened to or, you know, the article that I just read? Like, I've always wanted to do that. And like now I can do that. Yep. <laughs> like anything that I want to talk about, yep. I can do that. And 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 that's been that's been really enjoyable. I've, I've enjoyed that a lot. Um, it, I, I do want to uh, plug the fundraiser really quick, uh, folks. Just a reminder, this is the Valley Labor Reports uh, Marathon Mine Worker Strike fundraising stream. We are raising money for the striking miners. We are not staying up for 54 hours for our own health. We are doing it for the health of the miners. So we are sitting right now at $52,500. $52,500 that we have read that we have raised I want to try to get it up to 53,000 pretty soon. I want to try to get it up to 53,000. I think we uh, we are $470. Only $470 away. We've got uh 23 people uh oh, watching right now. Probably most of you have already donated. If you've already donated, just share the stream again um, uh, and, and, and encourage other folks to donate so that we can get uh, so that we can get up to fifty three thousand. I really want to hit a hundred thousand before the weekend is over. If we can if we can raise a hundred thousand for these uh, striking miners, I will feel very good about this weekend. Um, of course, before the weekend started, I would have felt good if we had raised ten thousand. Um, but this is far exceeded our expectations and that's only thanks to uh to to the the generous um time that people like labor kyle people like kenzo um and and other folks that we have had on the program it's only thanks to them them lending their audience to us uh other people boosting it Bo of the fifth column made a whole video about it and his community donated a lot a lot of the money that we have currently so let's try to get that four hundred seventy dollars um, before we let labor Kyle go let's try it. to get that four hundred seventy dollars to get us up to fifty three thousand um, and the link to donate as David lays in a comfortable bed hopefully in a much-needed slumber yeah uh, <laughs> David is old, so we'll let him sleep. Um, he should sleep if he needs it. Do what? He should sleep if he needs it. David, go sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, he's he's absolutely asleep. He Good. is absolutely he is out right now. Good. Uh, <laughs> um. So, and the link to donate is in the description. It's going to be the first link that you see right below the video. Um. So make sure that you uh, donate if you haven't, and share the stream if you haven't. Uh, encourage people to donate. We want to try to get up to $53,000 here in the next couple of hours. We only need, okay, we just got, uh, we just got some money in. We just got about $15 in. So now we only need 457 $457. So I'm going to quit giving you the live updates, but I'll, uh, <laughs> we'll come back to that here in a bit. <clears throat> um, so, you know, 
one of the one of the kind of main intersections that you've kind of kept coming to or, or, or roads that led to the intersection is religion that you have you've talked about you know you mentioned that your research was about the life and and the person the apostle paul um you've talked about how religion played a really big role in your parents life and obviously thus your life um you know can you dig some more into like how your religious upbringing like molded you into the person that you are today and how because i know that you're still a religious person and and how you like well kind of my <laughs> um and 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 like how you see yourself today uh, um w with regard to faith absolutely um the, the, sh the short and the long answer is that's complicated. Um, the, the, the real juice, though, um, like the, 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 re the real, like, 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 the real thing that I think people need to hear when it comes to my upbringing is that I, am, I, I proud myself on being an effective organizer. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have some metrics to back myself up because I have terrible self esteem. You can see my cat tree and camera. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can still see it. Whatever. Um, I I learned all of the things that I know. I, I were all of my organizing skills were refined in the actual organizing themselves. But everything I learned was growing up in a church because I come from one of those families that we were there when the doors were open. So that was like three days a week usually. Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, Wednesday for like choir practice and music. Like I come from a family of church musicians as well, because um, all my family, like my mom and my dad, are from like my mom's from uh, Lucasville, Ohio, um, and uh, uh, my grandparents lived in Waverly most of the time, and their church is about the size of my apartment. And it's one of those situations to where, like, everyone gets put in, like, someone in your family gets put in piano lessons early on because someone's got to play the organ because the organist is going to die at some point. Bless her. But, like, she's she's not going to live forever. Um, and that's just kind of a tradition. Like, now I grew up in, like, in Florida, but, like, it's a tradition that just kind of hung around with my family. Um, it's, it's a big part of, like, our lives was volunteering um, and spending a great deal of time, like, nurturing volunteer organizations within the context of evangelical Christianity. The thing about evangelical Christianity is that those organizations are run on volunteers. It, mm -hmm. Like the whole thing is run on volunteers. So you need to be able to get a whole bunch of people who don't want to do stuff for free to do stuff for you for free. And the way that I came into organizing with this goofy idea in my head that has just turned into my entire sort of organizing methodology which is this like when you're building spaces for volunteers and you need to create an organization that is lasting and sustaining you need to do three very simple things you need to make people feel welcome loved and needed when they're welcome it's that's like that. that's comes everything from basic hospitality to where like you, you, people know where they need to go they know where they're supposed to be when they walk into a room there they don't no one there's no, at no point is someone walking into a room that you're in charge of and they look around and say what am i supposed to be doing right now they walk in and they know exactly that this is the right place 
someone probably greeted them on the way in. Like it's like a good like, you know, it's like it's like when you're when you're trying to pack out numbers for a good meeting, like like you you do the basic things necessary to make sure that someone knows that this is a good environment for me. And then and the other thing you do is when like you make them feel loved by making their problems your problems. And when the rubber hits the road and when they need to rely on you, you are the guy that they call. And that's like you can the only way to do that is by building relationships with people and earning their trust through like like being in community with them. And then the last part is that like you need to make them feel needed, which is very simply when someone wants something to do, give them something to do. Even if it's not exactly like what they think they want to be doing in the organization, even if it like you do your best to try and help people find the 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 role that they can play that complements their skill set the best. Um, I learned all of that in church, and like that's just like that's really like bread and butter rank and file organizing. We just add all the terminology in, you know, organic leadership and shop stewards and you know shift leaders and like all like you know we, like it maps on so well. Um, and like, so that's the, that, that's the first big part, like the practicality of organizing. Like I learned everything in church, but more than that, like, I don't like, so I consider myself a Christian. Um, a lot of Christians wouldn't consider me a Christian and that's okay. Like I, I, I don't feel threatened by that at all. Um, it's just because I don't, I don't see the applications and the influence of the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth that differentiate myself from, say, someone who is like a regular church-going sort of person. Um, I, 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 and th this is not to this is not to discount anyone who is that type of a person, but for me, I, 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 I was always I always felt limited by my by the protestant churches or any churches ability to make lasting concerted change in their community and the reason why is because of it's because of limitations that they set themselves often not because of external limitations and uh i got i got impatient uh waiting around for a lot of the church people in my life to understand that the way to be in service to the least of these is to you it's going to mean that you need to strike out in ways that are going to make people uncomfortable that are going to come into conflict with like the most powerful forces in our society um and that you're going to have to stand in front of workers uh, or in, in like marginalized people in your community in defense of them often quite literally and right i i was always struck by people's unwillingness to do that when I was raised doing like I went to a church where we did prison ministry. So like I was used to going into jails and stuff like that. And it's stuff that like I just everyone's always like, oh, my God, how do you do that? And I'm like, why are you not doing that? I don't understand. Right. I don't understand your Christianity. Right. And so it like it forced me to say, like, at some point I need to break out and practice this in a way that's going to that in, that is going to like like the the idea in the, the the idea in the book of Luke that like the 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 
the disciples are the, the disciples are talking to Jesus. They're seeing all of this like struggle that they go through, all of the you know pain and hurt in their community and in the world, and they say, like, teacher, you keep talking about the kingdom of God, the like the descending kingdom of God that's going to come and be here. When is it going to happen? Because shit sucks right now. And he's in. Jesus tells the disciples to look within themselves because the kingdom of God is within you. Um, and that really stuck with me, uh, especially as a younger man who was working on some personal stuff, mostly just coming out of the closet. That took a long time. I grew up in a very homophobic church, so that was a big struggle. But also, as I encountered more radical parts of Christianity, um, which like you've got you've got you've got the crew coming up on the Sunday morning stream, like that like those are my people, Magnificast and Damon and like I love all those boys. And it's because when I got to college, I encountered a group of radical Christians who were very very left wing politically, but mm-hmm. who applied these teachings in a very substantive and meaningful way to try and make lasting change in people's lives. Not only did that help me realize that I don't, I don't want nor do I need a certain type of Christianity um, to reconcile itself with me, but that I'm a historical agent as a worker, and I can go out and I can make change and I can make history by com- like working with other workers to try and gain power and exercise that power. Um, but those, and I mean, it's the most love. I, I owe a debt to like so many good Christians in my life are helping me come out of the closet and people hear that and they go like that can't be true and it's just like you have like believe it I mm-hmm. like when when people learn about people different than themselves and they use it as a vehicle for change um, in their own life and in the lives of others it has ripple effects beyond what they understand I don't think any of those people I don't think any of my friends from my first college realized that they had that big of an impact on me coming out but just being able to be around Christians who were not homophobic uh, and on top of that who were very oriented to I know a lot of them are academics now and their union basically they all became union militant we all became union militants and like best thing to be I mean well there's it was the logical conclusion it is the logical mm-hmm. conclusion of what we were trying to do where go to where the need is like what what other oppressed majority in world history is there besides the working class and like it's like it just it made too much logical sense um and it it changed the trajectory of my entire life and now i don't i don't go to church Uh, my parents would really want i go to church with my parents if i'm in town they would really want me to my sister would really want me to too but at the same time there's a reason why they don't bug me about it, and it's because they know what I'm doing when I'm not going to church. And, like, right. would they rather me, like, be involved in a church at a worship service, et cetera? Yes. They think that that's necessary and important, and God bless them. Like, they, they really want what's best for me. But, like, if your work speaks for yourself – like, if, if your work is speaking for itself, then, like, I don't need – like – and here's here's the thing i don't talk much about like my personal religious beliefs or theological beliefs or stuff online but like 
I, I found myself like immediately into like the like in the like left Christian sphere because I mm-hmm. the second I got like da- the second I got in Damon Garcia's Twitch channel for example after we'd follow each other on Twitter or whatever I'm like oh these are these are not only were they my people but these are still my people and I need right. to nurture this in a way that is that that lets them know how much it means to me and if I do if I have a praxis through which that I am genuinely trying to get people to understand what they've done for me in an act of, in a humbling act of service then like it has this like feedback loop effect to where generosity and kindness beget generosity and kindness and like organizing necessitates organizing and it creates this like really powerful relationship that cuts through a lot of the noise and crap that we get in our day-to-day lives that divides us and keeps us isolated and atomized in our own little space um and it's just it's just been it's been pretty life-changing over the past like oh shit like 12 i started college like 12 years ago like that's when I started. <laughs> no, I feel old thinking about 2007. About. I graduated high school in 2007, so I'm right there with Me you, too. buddy. Me too. All hey, right. Look at that. Um, What's up? And I know I missed a 2015. So. The young gun over yeah. here. We're already the seasoned vets, like <laughs> passing the torch to the newbies over here. I mean, come on. Uh. I know I missed a bit of that, but I just wanted to say that it's been really fascinating to see this um, this theme of religion or growing up in religion or being motivated by religion and how that's played out in so many of the conversations we've had just since we started this thing, like, I don't know, 20 hours ago. <laughs> uh, but it's been fascinating to see how many folks that that really uh, impacted and how many people are in organizing today and it's sort of living out those principles that many of us were raised with and you know at least speaking for myself and i think for many others we didn't often see it uh you know the the idea of sacrificing for some worker you don't even know but because you know it's the right thing to do that's not something i would have learned from my one of my pastors um, but I do think that you've, you've hit on something that we've talked about with several other guests throughout this, and that church is a community, and there's not much of that left. Yeah. I mean, there's less and less church left, but there's less and less community and real social bonds and relationships that are built on something other than transactions. Yes. Uh, so that really resonates with me when you talk about the, just the atomized hyper individualistic uh, society that we're living in. And uh, I think it's great that you're doing analysis of like pop culture, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of like Jacob in that some of some of the like gamer culture has kind of passed me by, I feel like. Um, I'm like you, I grew up with the Super Nintendo. I still remember getting that for Christmas that year. I think I was four maybe when I got that. Uh, my brother's two and a half years younger than me and so the playstation one was what really hooked him 
and boy did it hook him <laughs> we didn't have the weekday restriction like you did uh too many hours spent on final fantasy final uh, fantasy 7 it's just like it's yes. like that's the it's one of the great i have a podcast i have a podcast everyone wants to listen to it you can it's called all gamers are bastards um and Kay and i my co-host um talked about the final fantasy 7 remake recently um and we talked about like uh barrett wallace as like a revolutionary figure um and the it just like it really i've been thinking about that conversation shout out to Kay. i've been thinking about that conversation and some of the things that they said um and I've also been thinking about that. See, here's, here's the thing. I just went off on a big tangent. But here's the thing about what's interesting about we do this culture stuff. We do it for a reason. And it's because if you listen to – if I, if someone says who's a fan of my stuff, listen to that podcast. And then went and watched – my co-host Kay also has a YouTube channel. Their channel is much more popular than mine. Um, and they made a video on Judas and the Black Messiah, the biopic that's the story of Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party. And, like, there's – I did not realize how much of my political worldview I took from Barrett from Final Fantasy VII until like <laughs> we recorded that podcast. And I was going back and I was reading lines of dialogue um, from the original game and then re-watching scenes from the remake and stuff like that. And I'm like, holy shit. The, the Final, Fantasy, Final Fantasy VII is like, as, as the kids say, it's based. <laughs> um, it, it is a it is a isn't it amazing how much we absorb of that stuff uh and it wasn't until later on that i realized like this is a game about militant radical terrorist, -terrorist. Uh, fighting this evil corporate overlord destroying the the planet yeah that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> what is to be done is the question posed by final <laughs> fantasy 7 <VII. laughs> So true, so true. Uh, truly a statement for our times. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the Final Fantasy, I think, is an interesting thing that you see these political messages in media that you don't necessarily expect to find it. Maybe many of the audience doesn't initially find it. Um, I'm sure I wasn't the only one who didn't catch that the first time I booted up the game and it wasn't right. until later when i realized the ramifications of that and you know you got george w on tv talking about terrorism mm -hmm. and i just got finished pretending to be a terrorist yeah <laughs> well i mean like a different kind but in like well here's the thing like we we it, it and this is why cultural critique is important everyone communicates in the realm of culture nowadays like and mm -hmm. it like all like to the point and I make jokes about this in my content, and I'm making a video about it, right? I, I'm making a video about the movie Pitch Perfect right now, uh, that that movie about acapella. Oh, yeah, I, I know it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, that's the, that, that movie is um, completely demented in the best way. Like, it, it, is, it, is, it is this, like, there's this really, like, authoritar author authoritarian thing in culture nowadays to where, like, we have to, and I've referred to it on like multiple platforms at this point, so everyone's probably sick of the analogy. But like, there's, a, there's the, at one point in that movie, they cover the the song "Magic" by B.O.B. and Rivers Cuomo from Weezer, um, and that song is evil. And the reason why it's evil 
is because it, it, it is this part of contemporary society that is oppressively constantly telling you that you need to look with inside of yourself to find the true magic of who you are. It's all about self-expression. Be yourself. Do this. Like, like it's about this performing these moving goalposts of like human subjectivity. This idea that like you, you not only can you know exactly who you are, the true essence of you on the inside, all the special stuff on the inside, but you must if you're going to live a good and happy life. And it is like, I, I hate that. And the reason why I hate that is because, like. This, this, I, there, there is this liberal crap that we are constantly told that we need to be looking within ourselves in order to find the keys to what we need in this world. And that is patently untrue because I have constantly looked within myself over and over and over again. And like, sure, have I been able to suss out some stuff and, you know, sort of figure myself out a little bit? Yes, absolutely. That happens. That's human growth. Like that's just growing up, becoming an adult getting older, realizing the sort of your space in the world and that sort of a thing. But what we need to be learning as we get older and like, and this is, it's the contrast to the kind of stuff that we were raised with, which is, you know, you know how everyone says you're just going to get older and get more and more conservative, like, which is hilarious to me because I've always been left wing and I've just like grown way left as I've gotten older. And the reason why is because I've recognized that like, that was a load of BS. Like the special magic is not within me. Because I can't do, I can't change, I can't make any meaningful change by myself in the world. That's not only like, I mean, we can get into the theoretical like reasons why politics, government, economy, the social world, culture, or history function this way. But it's much easier just to go to our lived experiences. Take it back to union organizing. In what universe can one worker change their workplace? It doesn't happen. You can change your workplace for yourself by you know, brown nosing the boss or doing a hustle culture and trying to climb the ladder and then immediately when you get in the ladder turning around and shitting on everyone underneath of you. Like, like this is like, there's a way to do that. But it's not a way to make change for other people. It's change, that's change for yourself. So if we have, like not only do we have to like push against this idea that like an ethic like of the self is like, like an affirmation of who we are, whatever that means, is going to make meaningful and lasting change in our community. No, it will not. And the reason why is because you just can't do it alone. I'm not going to try and find the meaning within the magic in me because I don't think that that's very magical. The because for the for magic me, is the connection. I mean, like between others, exactly. D despite the magic is accomplishing an impossibility and i talked about this in a re i recently put out a video that has nothing to do with video games so uh anyone who doesn't play games can watch <laughs> it it's on history it's on working class history i wrote it in a day because i w had a bunch of nervous energy and i needed to put it somewhere and i didn't feel like writing my thesis so i sat down and i wrote <laughs> a video that uh, again to quote my friend the lit crit guy um who people should follow by the way uh it, it got a little manifesto-y and the reason why is because, like, if there's anything that history has taught me, it's that there are these moments in time to where there is a disruption in the established order of things. How things not just have been and not just how they are, 
but how they can be. So not just looking, not just looking into the past at history to understand how we got here, not just looking at our present circumstances to sort of diagnose our particular problems, but also being able to look forward and think maybe it is possible to disrupt how things currently are. Because like we take the union, union organizing, union density is like, we're finally on an uptick in some industries, but we're still like completely against the ropes when it comes to labor, especially in the United States. It's always been tough here, but it gets tougher and tougher because the people with all the money and the power have every means to reconfigure and reorganize themselves. It's what we always say. You have to be organized because the boss will be organized. They, and if you're not organized, you will lose. And like, it leads me to this really sort of, this imposing idea on my worldview that like, I need to constantly be looking within myself to see other people rather than who I am. If I look within myself to try and find my own magic, well, it's just this like, excuse the term, it's incredibly masturbatory. It's this like, it's this self, like self-fulfilling, very, in my opinion, very empty, motionless sort of examination of the self. I can't go anywhere if I'm looking within, only and purely always. I have to find something within myself that can drive me toward another person. I talk about that, and I've talked about that in the video too. Actually, the the only other video that I ever made that was actually kind of personal too was in, speaking of Damon Garcia, my buddy Damon Garcia, who will be on the stream tomorrow, um, was in this one, and I talked about this particular theological movement that was very controversial at the time. It's called Death of God theology. Basically, these guys use Nietzsche to try and understand like the essence like like the like what does god mean in modernity uh and like and and how do how do we see this how do we see theology within the in light of the intellectual progress that we've made in modernity um and a lot of what that becomes is it's about understanding the sense of being who you are and what that means for your position in society um it, it's so much less about finding out who i am just so i can understand myself rather than finding out who i am so i can incorporate myself onto the multitude of oppressions that working people experience in our contemporary society i my experiences are not the same as someone who grew up say more like upper middle class or whatever my experiences also are not the same as someone who grew up as the say the child of undocumented farm workers as we were talking about earlier but work brings us to that point to where i can look within myself and not stop i can look within myself and see the parts of me that create these like very thin hard to see threads but like threads that are absolutely worth following that always bring me towards someone who has often gone through much worse things than me when neither of us should have or needed to go through the things that we did. Um, and so there's this like, for me, there's no, there is absolutely no alternative to other people um, if you wanna make change in your community. It's about building relationships 
and it's about empowering people to free themselves um, because this isn't about me it's never gonna be about me it can't be about me and be a sustainable lasting good project though they just they're irreconcilable with each other I blacked out for a second apologies no I, th I think you're really onto something there and I think that it really runs contrary to the kind of neoliberal ideology that permeates throughout our society like in a very hidden way often in a devious way yes. because it is all about me uh, like you said it's it's the inward look and pretending that you exist in a vacuum yes and we don't uh, we are human beings living in a society uh, I know like there's the whole like we live in a society meme and we do in fact we fucking do we do we live in a society and that shapes who we are what we do what we believe it was an accident of birth that I ended up in the south and not the north that I ended up white and not black I mean there are all these different uh you know things that happen to us often without our own choice um in those moments when we have choice are most empowering when it is with others and we can band together to do something yes. um, and i really like what you were talking about earlier those moments in history of disruption not just looking back to to learn from it but sometimes looking back to see could it have been different you know and as a fellow history guy i i've always been into like what if history uh, alternative history type things you know what if Lincoln hadn't been shot that day? Uh, what if someone else had been vice president besides that bastard Andrew Johnson? Um, you know, what if things had taken off in Germany in 1918 through 1920? Or, you know, that window of disruption where it looked like a, something different was German going Revolution. to happen or could have happened. Yeah. It, it could have. And I think that's instructive because we are trained all of us in so many different ways to believe that things can't be different yes. that what we have is all we can have yes. and, and what you live and what you see is all you're ever going to live and what you're you know the only thing you're ever going to see yeah. uh, so i think that's you know one of the many reasons why studying history is so instructive because there are so many moments that could have gone a number of directions uh, you also can appreciate if you actually have a materialist analysis you can appreciate why did those moments unfold the way they yes. did yes okay and so how how does that working right now what are those power dynamics right now that are going to shape that moment tomorrow so all that to say you know i, I i'm picking up what you're putting down and i dig it and i appreciate it <laughs> no i'm just I'm just, it's nice that the, these ideas, it's crazy to me that these ideas are resonating in the way that they are. They are. It's, and it's coming from a lot of different people mm -hmm. who are all kind of coming to these same conclusions and same mindsets independently of themselves. I mean, independently of, you know, any one person putting it out there. And I think that's really fascinating. And I think it says we're onto something. You know, because there's a lot of the really smart people who are reaching the same kind of conclusions that you are and that we are, and I don't know. I think that means something. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Real quick, I think that's a good place for uh, to plug the fundraiser. We are 420, 420, $420 away from uh, 53000 So only $420 away from 53000 We have... We need um, a uh, very generous and affluent stoner to give us $420 yes. tonight. <laughs> Right now, or this morning at 5.15. Yeah, if you're yeah, waking and baking and you got plenty in the bank, 4.20, please donate. Yeah, 5.15 is proper. Uh, that That's the morning. That's We're no longer in the night. This is when working folks get up to go to <laughs> go to their jobs. Um, so we, are, we have properly made it through the night, I believe. I think it's safe to say that. So we only need $420 to get to 53000 um, I'm sure that Labor Kyle would like to see us hit 53,000 before he jumps off. So uh, if you have not donated, then donate. If you have donated and can donate again, then donate again. If you have donated mm -hmm. and cannot, or if you can, if you have not donated and cannot, then I implore you, implore, I implore you to share the stream, to share the donation link so that we can get up to 43, uh, 53, 53,000 before uh, 6 a.m. At 6 a.m., we're bringing on Madeline Freeman from Left Voice. She wrote an article about it, uh, about this strike, so we're going to be talking to her. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, let's see if we can get that uh, $420 into the door before she gets on the link to donate is in the description the link to donate is in the description of the youtube video so check it out share the stream donate share the stream yeah share it again because if you shared stuff yesterday uh, it's a new day it is a new day and folks are waking up and looking at their phone yeah. they probably shouldn't be doing that but they are so go ahead and share it again maybe it'll pop up on their feed You know, I'm just like, I, I'm really like honored to be a part of this. Like all these people coming together on the stream, all these people coming together in person to put this together. I mean, I, this is this is really cool. Um, you know, we've said it a couple of times. This has really exceeded. You know, um, even now, this has exceeded what we thought we'd be able to do. We thought we were going to maybe get ten thousand for them this weekend and uh uh and uh, like you know a hundred thousand is not an unreasonable goal at this point which is just a totally different world than where we were like three days ago you know <laughs> so um so i really appreciate everybody coming on and i appreciate uh labor kyle i appreciate you coming on at this ungodly hour of course, it's a little better for you. It's a little bit. It's like uh, you came on at five year time, yeah. and it's we're, we're going to be going on seven when I got you excited roll out. So that's not that's not as bad over there. You started your day chatting with us, and we appreciate that. Yeah, dropping deep philosophical takes, fresh in the morning, uh, and that's what's up. And I, one of the great things about this event that I've already appreciated so much. Uh, besides the obvious of being able to help these these miners who certainly need it is to be exposed to all these new people and these 
voices that maybe I'm not familiar with, you know, as Jacob earlier, like who's labor Kyle, <laughs> uh, I'm out of the loop, fill me in. And, uh, I'm really great. You know, it's been great to meet you, so to speak, and to hear you. And, um, you know, I feel honored to have uh, been exposed to the wisdom and knowledge of so many guests over the past, you know, 20 hours or so. It's the brain power and the organizing power and experience that everyone's bringing to the table is is pretty fucking awesome. And uh, it's it's a testament to the strength of the movement that we have. You know, it's easy to get down on ourselves because yes union density is low and uh the working class has been getting his ass kicked for decades uh, unions in particular but look at the people the people we have i mean we have some really cool people on our side some smart people on our side incredibly generous people on our side uh, and that really does make a difference and uh you know as i was talking with kenzo earlier when you have that community it makes it easier to withstand the losses because you're gonna lose. Yes. You know, yes. with the values that we have going up against the system that yes. we have, we are gonna lose. Yes. You know, we have to learn from those and, and be prepared to lose again. Yes. But when we have each other's back and we know that we have brilliant people that we can bounce ideas off of and, you know, cry on their shoulders and then uh, sometimes they need to kick us in the ass too. Yeah. And so that's really a it's a fantastic thing and I, I'm happy to play my small little part in that. To that point, I got a story for you. Um, because I love stories. I completely agree. Um, I very like like that that is the precise emotional resonance that I feel in my position for anyone who doesn't know me. I'm the secretary treasurer of the Central Florida IWW. Um, we are a uh, fastly growing um, but still relatively new branch. Um, shout outs to the Central Florida Wobblies. Big Tim, y'all talked to Big Tim earlier. Mm -hmm. Big Tim's like a local celebrity, by the way. Like, Big Tim goes on like the big radio show here and is a stand up. And like, Tim's a beast. Um, but, uh, and we got, we got Tim. We got Big Tim. It's pretty cool. But, uh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, was, that, that was that was a good that was a get so to speak. But uh, hell yeah, we're this, pulling in the big names. I mean, come on. Well, literally, big <laughs> Tim. Literally, the we, big we names. pulled in the big names. Oh, and I I finally got to meet the pandemic. We got so many new members that I have I've I have talked with hours on the phone and on Discord, and I have not met in person. And I finally got to meet Big Tim in person. And like, I'm a big guy. Like, I'm very thin, but like, I'm about six four. I'm I'm really tall, and I'm just all limbs. And then like. But wow, you're six four. That is tall. My dad's like my my giant scary firefighter dad that I was talking about is like six <laughs> eight. He's huge. Um, wow. I come from a tall a line of very tall men. But uh, uh, Big Tim, uh, when I Big Tim gave me a hug to say goodbye and picked me up off the ground completely. <laughs> uh, it was the greatest. Held me like a baby. The greatest <laughs> greatest thing in the world. But anyways. Uh, Big Tim is the bouncer at your wobbly meetings. I mean, he, he could be the sergeant at arms, right? Like <laughs> he'd probably just make everyone like anyone who was coming to harass us or whatever. He'd just make them laugh. It'd be fine. Like, uh, well, that's a hell of a weapon to have. It's the only the only thing I like. Th th what really taught me how to organize is that what the first time I made a room laugh, I'm like, ooh, I liked that. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
that made me happy. Uh, but there's so this last summer, um, actually, I'll start before that. In October of 2019, myself, who at the time was, uh, shit, what position was I organizing the department liaison? I don't even remember what my position was. Before I was in my position now, um, one of the greatest organizers I know, a guy named Mike Horn, he organizes for SEIU um, uh, in Seattle now. But uh, 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 my buddy Mike and I, who Mike and I were sat down one day and uh, he said, hey, we should get the IWW going around here again so we have something to do in our spare time. He's like, you're a workaholic. I'm a workaholic. We <laughs> want to do labor organizing. Let's like We live in uh, service industry hell. I live in Orlando right now. Uh, and so like, let's organize some small shops. And so, uh, we sat down with a few workers from a, uh, a restaurant called the Dandelion Community Cafe. Um, it's a place that my husband and I actually would frequent because my husband keeps kosher cause he's Jewish. Um, and, uh, they have their, uh, it's vegan food, anything that's vegan is kosher. So we would go there. It's a good place. I'd go there and get some work done. Sometimes I knew a couple of people, all of the very, very cool and intimidatingly cool workers there would always compliment my band tees. So I was like, I go there for a little self-esteem boost and, you know, right. that sort of thing. They recognize the weird <laughs> esoteric crap that I'm into. Um, we had a meeting with three, four workers uh, at the time. One who didn't end up working there anymore, but three of them who were there. Travis, shout out to Travis, Julia, and Kyle. Um, and we started uh, helping them organize their workplace um, for the rest of that year. Big, bigger shout outs even to our current organizing, our current organizing guy, the go, the organizing department liaison in our branch, who's the go between between active organizing campaigns and the internal branch stuff. It's a guy named Ryan Riley, another SEIU organizer, another dual carter, incredible guy. Um, Ryan, myself, and then my deputy Dave. Shout outs to Dave. A lot of shout outs. I love I love the Central Florida Wobblies. They're like I, just, I love them. They're like family. But uh, um. We start. We did la trainings on labor law. Ryan worked directly with uh, Travis and Julia and Kyle and the rest of the crew to start organizing their workplace. Um, and so when COVID hit that next year, um, things started to get kind of nasty there. So that we, we they had by that point had the vast majority of their workplace on board um, and ready to sort of like we weren't gonna go for a contract or nothing. A small workplace. At the time twenty four employees. I believe 30 employees before COVID and then closer to the lower 20s once COVID hit, they laid some people off. Um, uh, it was tough at Dandelion already. Some of them had been working there for years and in service, like we've been in service industry. Like when, like what Jake was talking about working three years in a service industry job, I'm like, well, God bless, because that means it was a good enough service industry job to stay in for a couple of years. The reason why I jumped around a lot is because, well, you know, like as we know, the, the, like, even when the pay is good in service industry, the pay is still shit. But right. you, you you do your best to go find the job that will pay you the most. I, that's what I was always I would always try to just be like go to the place. They offer to bring me in at nine. I'm making eight at my current place. I go back to the current place and say, hey, I found a new job. They're gonna pay me a dollar more. I, I don't mind my job that much. If you want to keep me, pay me more. And then almost all like every once in a while, I'd have a decent shift manager or whatever, and they would go to the owner, and the owner would uh. I, I worked at Panera Bread Company and I got a job when I was in college and I got a job at Starbucks and I went, I actually didn't mind my job at Panera because I had managers who left me alone and who let me, they gave me a lot of dish shifts and I could listen to music while I did dish. I always worked on the line. Like, like they, they were 
for all intents and purposes, fairly decent. Um, some of them were not, but like the people that I worked with, they tended to have my back. So I went to her and my manager and I said, hey, so Starbucks offered me this much money. And she said, oh shit, okay, let me see what I can do. Apparently she went to the owner of the franchise and said, hey, I'm gonna lose one of my really good workers if you don't let me pay them more. Uh, and she said, give them a dime. Um, and so when wow. she came to me and she said, I'm, she, she said, I'm so sorry. She said, I could give you 10 cents. And I said, okay, you know where she can shove that 10 cents. So tell her for <laughs> me where she can stick it and I'm gonna go somewhere else. But anyways, uh, so like having this many people at this cafe who had been working there for several years was a really mm -hmm. big deal. They had a work, they have a workplace culture that like was beyond almost anything that I've ever seen. They're all, they all have, they all have a, a brunch on Sundays together as a workplace. Aww. It's, inc they're incredible. They're incredible. They're inc incredible people. And so around July, we started talking, they, were ha they weren't getting any hazard pay for COVID. They had already had a bunch of problems. There's, they serve hot tea at this place and their floor was all warped in the old building they were in. And people would like trip and pour scalding water on themselves. Oh, and they'd be like, oh yeah, I guess you should go to the hospital. Like that kind of, like really messed up mm -hmm. stuff. They were like paying, they're like asking people to help design the kitchen when they pay them like $10 an hour. And it's like, bro, this is not my pay grade. Like, why are you having me? They took, so, they had to, they used to promise regular raises and apparently you'd have to chase them down, pin them down and waterboard them to actually get the, excuse the analogy, and actually actually get the raise that they promised right. you. And right. all of that was compounded by COVID. So they were getting ready to go public. Um, and so what we did as, for those who, you know, want to see how the sausage is made, um, we did an assessment of the workplace um, by creating a letter with a list of various problems that they wanted to address in their workplace that they that then the workers who were in support of it could sign the letter and then we we're going to do what we call a march on the boss which we take you take that letter and you take a group of workers and you all you we surprise them you don't you, you surprise the boss and you deliver the demands and you say hi we are a union now and, and this is what the day in line workers said. They delivered a list of demands that included um, more regular st all staff meetings to where they could have a voice. Um, like they requested uh, hazard pay. They requested a couple of things to get fixed. Like the hood was like dripping into people's food and stuff. They're like, we need to get this fixed. We love our customers. They delivered the letter of demands and said, we love you. We love Dandelion and we want to make Dandelion better. We are a union now, so we would love if we could sit down and have an all-staff meeting, let us know a good time for you, and then we will come and we will all sit down and we'll talk about this. Um, so we did that on a, we delivered it on a Sunday. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Monday. We delivered it on Monday. They, de they delivered the letter around Monday at four o'clock, the workers. We came home and uh, jumped on a Discord call with them to start planning out our week. We started talking about um, actions that we could do within the workplace under the circumstances that we went through all the scenarios. This is what you do is we inoculated everyone, as we say in labor organizing appropriately. This is what could happen. This is what we'll do if that happens. And then you just kind of go down the list. Um, well, about I think 10 minutes after we hopped off that Discord call, maybe at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, 
all of the workers at Dandelion got a text, got a message through the group messaging service app that they use saying the cafe will be closed for the week immediately. You are not allowed onto the property. If you come onto the property, we're going to call the cops. Um, this is, oh my God. yeah, this is what we call a lockout. Um, it was not a legal lockout, but this is it basically, there's this thing called an employer lockout. Normally this is something that happens during contract negotiations. By the time you get to the end of a contract negotiation, if the workplace and their attorneys think that they've reached an impasse, that they've put out the best contract that they can give and the workers still aren't taking it, well then they can pull the, the point of production by shutting down the workplace and locking out the workers. Um, normally you need to be in contract negotiations to do that. You can't just lock out workers for union organizing. So uh, we started planning pickets. Um, you're gonna lock us out. Well, we're gonna go and stand in front of Dandelion during the lunch shift and the dinner shift, and we're gonna tell the customers what you're doing. We did that, we threw it together. Like I say we, they did. I did whatever I could for triage. I got COVID, ex I got exposed to COVID on the second day um, oh, of our picket. So I only managed to go to one. So I was stuck in this chair coordinating best I could. And I'm the paper pusher and the money guy. So that, that was fine. And I do some graphic design stuff too. Um, and I print and like all like, so we, I managed to do plenty, but um, it was a chaotic week of picketing, 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 picketing. We showed up every single day. Um, and then we found out at the end of the week that uh, they decided to close the business for good. Um, rather than have one meeting with workers who had been working with them for years, rather than wow. listen to them, this was all, they, the, what they were asking for was an all staff meeting. Bernie Sanders, meme. I am once again asking for an all staff meeting. Like that is all it was. And they decided that it was more important. This family workplace that they have, well, screw the family. We're going to shut the whole thing down. And we're going to close in the family we're moving to another state and finding a new wife it, <laughs> new I mean, right. basically and so it like that was that was really heartbreaking that was that was new they went nuclear that is that like tank your entire business because you're too much of a wuss to sit down and have an all-staff meeting with the people that you've been screwing over and doing wage theft against for years um this is all and, to say they're customers too i yes. mean you know, this sounds like the type of place where you have regulars and you have these longtime staff who've yes. built relationships with those customers and yes. get to know, you know, a little bit about their lives and their, you know, they check and ask about their mama and them and, you know, to, to go nuclear like that yeah. on such a low, I mean, the workers didn't even pull out the guns. Like, they're, <laughs> I mean, they're just asking for a fucking meeting. Mm hmm. The high, road, is, the high road wild. every time. Uh, and this is why I wanted to bring this up. Um, not only do the dandelion workers, they called themselves the seeds. That's what they called their union. Not only do they still have a Sunday brunch, a Sunday dinner, I think as they call it. Not only do they still have Sunday dinner every week. Um, but I was, I was taught a lot of things by that campaign. Um, it was very, it was life changing. And I don't know if they believe me because I talk about it so much, and they're just like, was it really that big of a deal? Yes, it was that big of a deal. And the reason why is, not only did I learn like, that there is an incredible amount of value. If we are going to help workers organize themselves within their shops, um, the primacy has to be placed on the education and training and organizing of those workers for themselves, 
rather than for some sort of, you know, like I can't come in and organize their workplace for themselves, mostly because I'm not paid to do it. Like I don't have time. Mm -hmm. And also like that's not what's going to be able to make lasting change. And it, the, the, the small amount of investment as individual organizers that our branch was able to make for these workers who many did not know us, many were not holding red cards, were not members of the IWW at the time, uh, to be able to just like drop pretty much everything that we were doing and to be able to focus on trying to get as much like resources, energy, whatever contacts we have, whatever contacts with other unions we have, shout outs to the UAW who cut a check, shout outs to faculty Florida members who showed up to pickets and cut checks individually incredible amount of solidarity oh, yeah. for workers who are almost always forgotten like yeah. when it comes to the labor movement and i'm not even just i'm not talking i know that unite here and ufcw organize uh food workers and service workers these are this is our my city is filled with tiny restaurants with small business tyrants running mm -hmm. them and running over people just like us our age our level of education all like we're constantly making them feel like crap for like literally keeping their business open. And I was so impacted by that campaign because it shows that like, I mean, to quote Sarah Nelson, solidarity as a force stronger than gravity because it is able to, as we were just, as we were talking about before, it is able to defy your expectations for what like is, has, and always shall be when it comes to worker action in our communities. Florida is a place to where like worker, we do not have power. We're, we're, in, the, we're in the South too, but like, 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 like it, it is so tough in so many places in the, in the states that we live in. It's like, people don't wanna get started because they understand, they've seen what's happened. Mm -hmm. Like they, they and there's, there's one of the most powerful things that's happened and that illustrates my entire point instead of my weird ramblings is that, uh, and sh shout outs to our organizing department liaison again for this, we're working on organizing, um, uh, uh, well, oh, Cap Taiwan Public. We're organizing a, 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 a capturing service, um, mostly for the elderly. Um, basically, they're uh, technicians to where they caption phone calls for people who yeah. have difficulty hearing. Um, and we're also working on organizing some other sort of smaller shop restaurant kind of places. And the thing that has been really remarkable is that despite like the dandelion campaign, I was shooting out press releases and, you know, God bless the Orlando Sentinel who their union is going through shit right now. Cause they're going to get sold to venture capital or whatever. We were out there at their rally, but like I'm, I'm in the Orlando Sentinel, you know, basically calling Chris, the owner, a coward, like they, they mm -hmm. like it's all over the place. And so people look at the, they look at what happened in our most recent campaign um, and they go, doesn't seem like things went very well there. And it's like, well, no, they didn't. Right. No, like, like th this is, and th this is why we inoculate each other to what possibly could happen, but don't take it from us. Talk to the dandelion workers. They have been incredibly generous in their willingness to go and talk to other places that we've been organizing and say, yeah, I lost my job. I would do it again. And the reason why is because I have been bumping around from shitty service job to shitty service job 
And part of the whole thing about organizing this workplace was that, yeah, I could just go get another job. Why can't this one be better? Why do I have right. to constantly bump around trying to just with my hand out, please, sir, may I have some more rather than saying, I like the people I work with here. This job's not that bad. It could be so much better. And the way mm -hmm. to make it better is to stand with my coworkers and make demands because we keep this place open. We are dandelion. We are our workplaces. The boss is not the work. They, they, they have you think that they have your best interest in mind. If they had your best interest, interest in mind, it would already be your workplace. Here's the thing. Right. They are, it is a hypocrisy that goes to the very core of what it means to employ other people. Here's the other big thing, and I saw Big Tim reference this sort of a little bit. These people who own this cafe were known as pro progressive beacons in the community. There was a Black Lives Matter sign on the door. Oh, of course there was. It, yeah. uh, Black Lives Matter unless they work for you. Because they had black employees. Black lives only matter when it can serve your bottom line. If that is not like like if that is not a description of the level of hypocrisy that you work with in union organizing, I don't know what is because mm -hmm. there is no way that you can reconcile those ideas while still treating your workers this way. There's no way that you have a fair and equitable workplace because if it were, it would be. You would have already made it that way. The only way that we can actually make lasting concerted change in our workplaces and that way that that change can go on and affect other people is by striking out now, figuratively, not literally. The, like, the idea that a loss is just a loss, not only like not only is that not really sustainable considering just as you said we are not only do we lose all the time we are going to lose more it is going to happen right. because we are up against the most powerful people in the entire world these employers have everything and we have nothing besides ourselves each other and solidarity but here's the thing sometimes you win and even when you don't win workers will still show if you do what you if you show up for other people if you let them know that your problem their problems are your problems you give them something to do and you make them feel welcomed in your union in your space in whatever and you organize and you you you, you do the thing that you don't want to do which is admin email spreadsheets all of the boring stuff that like just does not sound fun well yeah it's not the most fun thing in the world it's it's basically my job but like if you want a worker, even though that they went, they struck out in their workplace, they fought for what they wanted and they lost, they will still come and encourage people to do the same because they understand now that like losses are an inevitability in this work, but the potential for gains makes every loss worth it because we can have each other. We also let them know that like, if you are gonna get fired, well, we're gonna do our best to look out for you. We don't have, we're not a big union. We don't have a ton of resources. We can raise some money online. We did that. We got them a good hardship fund. Been cutting checks from it ever since. Feels really good to do that. But like we were able to make lasting change in our community, not because we won, but because we came and we showed up for workers when it counted and when it mattered. 
and like if you like this is not about winning right now this is about changing people's lives so we can win later like it's not going to be enough to just like i want to organize this workplace and i want it to be this way and oh, good job everybody now we can go home like mm -hmm. like there the the amount of work that has to be done necessitates making new organizers and you don't become an organizer by being a passive like a passive agent in an organizing project or in your workplace you do it by empowering workers by educating them by showing them that you're going to be there when it matters um and right. i just like it, it makes all of the struggle all of the difficulty all of the stress it makes every single inch of it worth it and i don't know what i was originally trying to say well i I want to thank you for sharing that story. That was that was great. And uh, you know, like you said, no, you didn't you didn't win the staff meeting, much less the actual demands. But I imagine those folks felt power. Yes. They felt a, a sense of power and connection that they hadn't felt before. Uh, something that's going to stick with them because I think those those bonds you you build and struggle uh, far supersede even often your own blood. Uh, and so I think that was a great story and, you know, I appreciate what your chapter is doing and what, you know, I know Wobblies are doing everywhere and others too, that, you know, it, it can't just be the coal mines and it can't just be the big Amazon warehouse. Yeah. Um, so many of our brothers and sisters are suffering under these small business tyrants, right. you know, the family business, the ones that are so small that all those rules don't apply. All those laws don't apply. They're the exceptions. Mm -hmm. And so many of us have been in those situations. And, you know, to to see organizers take a chance on folks like that uh, is really inspiring. And what you close with about the strike or, you know, the hardship fund and letting them know that y'all are going to have their back, you know, I think that's kind of what we're doing with yes. this event here what yes. you're helping us do is that these miners know that hey we got some money coming for you guys yep. because other people thought enough of your struggle to chip in a little bit to help yep. you you're um, escalating we are going to come and meet you right that's good organizing too is the thing right that like like when someone like we were talking about at a, a committee meeting this past week where we want to uh, pack out the next meeting that we have with um, one of the uh, workplaces that we're organizing because they feel very we've been doing flyering and they've gotten some new inquiries from members and they've gotten some new people in their sort of group. And so they are feeling very empowered right now. And so how can we escalate to match how they feel so they feel powered to take their project forward? And it's like, Absolutely. that's what y'all, that's what y'all are doing. That's what this is for. This is to say, okay, if you, if you're doing this, we, your community and the people, the, the, the labor movement has your back and that we're going to make sure that you're taken care of the best that we can. It's not going to be, it won't be, you know, we can't pay everyone's salary. We can't like, but we can take care of each other. And people we don't can leave. try. Yeah, and when you're when your back is against the wall, I don't need someone to pay my salary. I just need someone to just stand next to me. I need solidarity. I people so much like some people, and it may not work for everybody, you know, and and, and and that's and that's fine. But the vast majority of the workers that I come with, they don't, they've never asked for much. 
We are we're programmed and trained not to ask for anything. And so they don't ask anything of their union either. And so we just have to like, it's just like, not only am I following your lead, but I have got your fucking back. Like I'm standing right here. And then you just, you, that's what, that's what y'all are doing. And it's re, it's incredibly important. And it, it's also bringing local struggle like out past the locale. See, ain't no one talking about it. People don't talk about the shit that we do. And it's because mm -hmm. like, they don't have to like, like, right. It's not what gets them clicks. It's not what makes them news. Like it, 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 it just it doesn't accomplish the things that their bottom line need, and so they won't talk about labor struggle. And so we have right. to value like that's why I blow up y'all's spot all the time. We have to value the resources that we have, and we have to pour into them. And like we have to we have to let we just have to let people know that we care. And the only way yeah. that I know to do that is through action. I I just I talk I talk plenty. You know, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, well, and I think you know, uh, uh, all three of us uh, having a show. You know, I think we talk plenty, but I think I think that all three of us also do plenty as well. You know, and and um, you know, it, that's I'm I, I'm just so happy to hear about what y'all are doing in Central Florida. That is awesome, um, and I hope that uh, one day we're able to emulate that here in Huntsville. We've been um, I think we've been chartered longer than Central Florida, but I don't know, man. We've just we've we've hit a rut in Huntsville with the with the IWW branch, and it's been hard to get campaigns. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got members. We've got like thirty something folks that are that are on the roll that that you know I know that I've talked to that are paying dues, but we just don't have any campaigns. Yeah. And like that's what you need for a real. Um, you know, to, to activate your membership, you know, cause we've got people that want to do something and, uh, we just haven't, we, we haven't found anything to plug them into yet. Right. And, um, you know, there's always, uh, you know, I'm always thinking of things that I can do. Um, but there's, a, there's only so much that I can do. Right. Um, and there's only so much that Adam can do and, and, um, you know, uh, uh, but yeah, I'm really inspired by what y'all are doing down there. And bring us to a meeting us... too, if you ever want to have us. If you ever want me to come to a meeting, and if people want to like chat, because I don't have the answers for anybody, much less myself. Like that's the that's the that's the healthy, humble attitude to have with this stuff. But it's also right. just true. I don't have the answers, but like good brainstorming sesh or something like that. Yeah. We should talk. I, I think I have y'all shirt too. Yeah, you do. It's yeah, dope. I remember mailing it to you. That thing is so cool. <laughs> it is a badass shirt. So uh, I think I'm gonna be wearing it to uh, today when I um uh when I get a shower and, and put, <laughs> put a new set of clothes on. Um, well, please keep us posted uh, on yeah. the chapter and and everything you're working on and everything uh, your locals working on. Definitely keep us in the loop. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Labor Kyle, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Um, I just want to thank you boys for what you're doing. Um, I want to thank everyone who's donated, uh, and that you just just like if you, if you feel I, I want you to know that if if you feel something in your belly, this like exciting nervous feeling right now as you're watching what the miners are doing, this kind of like this like this kind of fear that's tickling at you but one that's kind of like 
you know, you feel like you're about to go on a roller coaster, you're about to jump off something high or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, don't forget it. That's that's the feeling that you get when you. It's this is what we call a precipitous situation. It's very high risk, high reward, and this is what being in the labor movement and like trying to use trying to wield it with some teeth actually means. Um, it's about putting in the work necessary now that something likely after you're not around to see it likely you know like something that the fruit of your labor is going to be harvested by somebody else and like the, that little feeling in your gut that's telling you that this is exciting and scary is is pointing you toward something really special and if you and if you ever need advice or are interested in organizing your workplace and don't really know where to start you can always message me and labor Kyle on Twitter my DMs are open um, you can mention you can message the Central Florida IW IWWCFL on Twitter or IWWCFL at gmail.com you can send us an email um, I'm helping someone organize in the Midwest right now uh, because uh, I, got, I went on a podcast and I got tagged in Discord <laughs> because someone needed help. Uh, it's very rewarding work. It's hard, um, but like it's made me a better person doing labor organizing. Um, and like it's about trusting the excited, the exciting but scary feeling that you have within yourself to take some to take a leap and do and strike out on behalf of other people. Um, I'll I'll take any amount of my day to help someone figure out what that means for them so but otherwise yeah. just thank you boys for what you're doing um it's really important i have i had miners in my family eastern kentucky fucking coal miners and like just as i come from a, the world of working stiffs and it me it's i had never seen nothing like this it's something's something's happening and i'm just i will be around to hear it because i will be listening to the valley labor report great program <laughs> Uh, with cool Thank hats. Thank you very much. What what can we say? Uh, up in Huntsville, uh, we we pride ourselves in uh, having good graphic design. So. All right, brother. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you, boys. I'll see you soon. Thanks.